Well, we are picking up this week where we left off last week. We started a new series last week um, in the, called The Three Circles, um, where we're talking about how as Christians we believe we are called uh, to share our faith. We have a responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus charged us, the local church, with the Great Commission to go and to make disciples. And we live in a world, as we're going to examine more closely this morning, that needs the gospel. People need the gospel, the good news that we believe that is found in Jesus. And so we want to be a church that, first of all, knows the gospel, right? Uh, we can't share it if we don't know it. So we want to, first of all, be a church that knows and understands what actually the gospel is. We're going to talk in depth about that next week. What is the gospel? We want to be a church that knows the gospel. We want to be a church that believes the gospel. You can't be a Christian without believing the gospel, right? It's not, it, that's what it all comes down to is do we believe, do we have faith in the message, the person that, that message is about, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we believe the gospel? So we want to know the gospel. We want to believe the gospel. We want to love the gospel. I tell you, when I read the New Testament, I can tell the Apostle Paul loved the gospel. He loved talking about the gospel. I mean, it just emanated from him. He loved the story of God coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ, of Jesus dying for our sin, of Jesus raising from the dead. So we want to be a church that knows the gospel, believes the gospel, loves the gospel. And I'm convinced that if you know the gospel, that if you believe the gospel, and that if you love the gospel, that you can't help but share the gospel. And if we know it, and we believe it, and we love it, we will share it, and we want to be a church that shares the gospel, that looks for not excuses not to, but excuses to engage people in gospel conversations that can literally change their lives forever. Because people are made in God's image, because eternity is a really long time, and hell is a really, really horrible place, and our God is a big, loving God who has given us a gospel capable of saving anyone who will repent of their sin and believe that gospel. And so that's the thrust of this series. And that's going to be the thrust of our small group training starting after Easter is learning this. And the three circles is a strategy uh, that was actually conceived down in West Palm Beach at Family Church by uh, Jimmy Scroggins and maybe his staff there uh, that is now spreading throughout our convention through the North American Mission Board as a strategy much like the faith strategy started. Some of you remember that several years ago over at First Baptist Daytona Beach. This one kind of started out of First Baptist West Palm Beach, now known as Family Church, uh, this three circles. It's just a strategy, a tool to help you share the story of the gospel and what God's doing in the world. And the really great thing I like about it is it helps us turn the very obvious need we have for the gospel into conversations about it. Because we are in a world surrounded with brokenness, swimming in brokenness. And we have conversations every day about that. And last week we started, I'm going to go ahead and get some drawing up here for you. So you remember what we picked off last week. Last week we started with this idea that God has designed the world, the work a certain way for life to function a certain way. Uh, he has created the world to be this. He, originally, the world was created as this perfect, sinless place. Uh, we know that God created man in his image. All right. Now, we know that ultimately that God sees and knows everything, and I don't believe the cross was ever... Let me under, under, As we share this, let me make sure we highlight this. I don't believe the cross was ever plan B for God. It was plan A. So God went into the whole deal understanding that his son would come and would die and purchase the people. However, God 
has designed life and marriage to function in context with relationship with him. But we know, and we're going to explore more deeply this morning, that even though we see that design in Genesis 1 and 2, we know that man departed from God's will. All right? And that is called sin. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And that leads to this area over here called brokenness. Now, I always have to be real careful here because I want to leave an N out of brokenness, but it's got two Ns. All right, so that's where we're at this morning is this idea that though we see in, all the way from Genesis 1 and 2 that God's got a perfect will and he wants us to live in relationship with him and he wants us to live in obedience with him. And we're going to talk about this morning how we've departed that and we live in this world now of brokenness and it's all around us. In our very city, we see and experience this brokenness. Let me give you some stats. I got them off the internet, so they have to be true. Um, I'll just tell you a lot of what you read on the internet is not true. Um, this is from City Data. It says the Orlando crime rate is 112% higher than the Florida mean and 143% higher than the national mean. Violent crime in our city is 104% higher than the Florida average. It is 152% higher than the U.S. average. Now, these were based off of 2015 statistics, I do believe. 32 murders happened in Orlando in 2015. 522 robberies and 1,789 assaults. That's just the stuff we know about. It's a broken city. It's a broken nation. We could go nationwide with, with statistics about divorce and the, 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 the poverty rate, all these things, worldwide. We know the world is broken. The cities we live in are broken. The state we live in is broken. The nation we live in is broken. And it's made up of broken people. We're surrounded by brokenness. And we don't just see it in these statistics. We see it in a teenager sitting by themselves at a high school lunch table. We see it when two people pledge to be together to death do us part, and it ends much sooner than that for whatever reasons. We see it in a beautiful home maybe even a multi-million dollar home housing depressed people. We see it in poverty all around us. We see it in greed and the lust for more. And we saw last week it wasn't always this way. The world didn't start out this way. The world became this way. And we're going to pick up in Genesis 3 this morning to talk about how we got here, a passage we come back to from time to time because it's so critical to the Christian faith. You can't understand your life without the first three chapters of Genesis. Your life, the Christian faith, the world around us does not make sense apart from the first three chapters of Genesis. So look with me, starting in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read the first six verses, and then we'll pause, and then we'll continue on here in a moment. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Okay, so let's just pause right there before we even go any further. <clears throat> the first thing I want you to see this morning is the cause of brokenness, and the cause of brokenness is sin. The reason there's so much brokenness around us, the reason there's so much turmoil around us, the reason there's so much of all the effects around us 
is because of sin. Sin has entered the world, and sin entered humanity in Genesis chapter 3 is the story of the first sin committed by the very first people. And you, when you just go back one verse from Genesis 3.1 to Genesis 2.25, you see just a difference that's happening. There's a transition taking place. In verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 2 leaves off with a picture that would be strange and peculiar in today's world. First of all, imagine a world with no shame, with no guilt, no evil, no mistrust, no selfishness. That's what you leave in Genesis 2.25. And then when you pick up in chapter 3, verse 1, we see we're thinking if you finish the first two chapters of Genesis and you go to bed at night, you've never read the Bible, you're like, well, if this is the way the world really started, what in the world happened? You, you would just be kind of on the edge of your seat. Like, what could have happened? Because... That experience is not my experience. And we pick up in verse 1 with the talking snake. And we're like, okay, it's getting weird now. Things are getting a little strange, right? And what, we're gonna, what we ultimately find out is that there, a single choice happened, and that single choice changed the world and changed us forever. We all look around and we can see something's wrong in the world. We all see the brokenness. We sense that something's not right. And the question becomes, well, well what is it? Why, is, why are things not quite right? Why are we the way we are? Why is the world the way it is? And we can begin to trace through and look and figure out because we see the evidence of something not being right all around us. You know, uh, back a few months ago when a big, one of the big storms came through here, we had a tree out here on our lot at the church campus um, that got snapped, right? Got snapped in two and they had to come in and they had to root it out, plant a new tree and all that. But they found out we could, some, you could always tell there was something kind of wrong with that tree. It was sick, right? And they got to digging around. They found out that it was sick, that it was diseased because the soil that it was in was diseased. Somehow it had gotten infected somehow and diseased the tree. So we see a tree that snaps due to a storm where the other trees around didn't break due to the storm, and we don't know what's going on. Then we realize, oh, well, the tree is sick. There's something wrong with it. You dig a little deeper, and you find out all the way down in the soil where the root system is, there's something really wrong, and it's affecting everything. It ultimately leads to the tree being snapped later. It's just, it's just right using logic and reason to trace these things out. In a similar way, we need to understand that when we look around us and we see all the brokenness that is evidence of a deeper problem, we have to dig down into the root system and see that there is something in us and flowing through us, this sin of our own hearts that causes the problem that we have in the world today, all the way back in Genesis 3. In verse 1, right there, we see, introduces us to the fact that humanity has an enemy. It has an enemy. And it's not your neighbor. It's not your annoying uncle, right? It's not the brother or sister that you haven't spoken to in years. It's not a Republican, and it's not a Democrat. It's not the current president, and it's not the last one. And it's not going to be the next one. Your enemy is Satan to the point that he embodied and possessed a snake to tempt and lead humanity astray. He hates you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And the Bible introduces him to us very early. This serpent that the Bible goes on to tell us is actually Satan. And it starts so subtle. Just a conversation, right? Let's talk. Let's have a chat. And that's the way sin is. Sin starts subtle. Sometimes it starts with a conversation. And by the way, just as a side note, men, if we don't lead our homes and we don't lead our families, as Adam didn't lead his home and didn't lead his family, Satan would just as soon start a conversation in your house as he would in Adam's house. If you don't lead, he will. And that's what's happening here. 
Notice what Satan does. He questions and distorts God's word. Did God actually say? He's questioning. He's, it's a sneer. It's a doubt. He's not trying to do faithful Bible interpretation. He's trying to question and cast doubt over God's word. Any tree in the garden? Did he say you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? Well, actually, no, that's not what he said at all. He's distorting. He's beginning to twist. He's casting doubt. He then belittles the consequences of disobeying. He says, you will not surely die, which is a flat lie, right? But he's trying to belittle the consequences, so it seems like whatever does happen is not going to be as bad, right? And then he says he begins to attack the very character of God. For God knows that when you eat, you will be like God. Translation, girl, God's holding you back. He doesn't have your best interest in heart. God's just a killjoy. That lie's been around a long time, right? Oh, if I become a Christian, that's been around a long time. If I follow, if I obey God, all these, it's been around, that lie has been around a long time. This idea that God's out to cramp your life, make your life worse, to restrict your life, to make life less fun, that lie is from the beginning. God just knows that you'll, when you eat of it, you'll be, you'll be like, and God's just jealous. God, God's just selfish. That's what he's saying. You, you know better than him. Satan wants to drive a wedge between you and God. He wants you to think one person you can trust, the one person you can trust the most is actually out to harm you. Satan wants you to trust you more than you trust God. Bottom line, Satan wants to trust what you see and think and feel in your heart more than what God's word says on a written page. And people who profess to know Jesus as Lord are buying it hook, line, and sinker every day. Well, God's word says this, but I think this, I feel this, I experience this. That's the lie sold to Eve. That's the lie sold to Adam and Eve from the very beginning. Did God actually say? Can that actually be the truth? Can, can that actually be what God said? Surely not. Your experience says what, Eve? What's he doing? He's tempting her. And by the way, it's the, the temptation here is not the sin. It's the enticement to sin. Jesus was tempted, and what did he do? He resisted. But we see Adam and Eve here. They don't resist. Eve is deceived, and Adam goes hook, line, and sinker. The Bible never tells us Adam was deceived. He just straight up rebels. She sees the tree is good for food, a delight to the eyes, and the desire to make one wise. She says it's practical. She says it looks enjoyable, and from what I can tell, it's beneficial. And she's taking her life into her own hands and she's saying, as far as I'm concerned, it's practical, it's enjoyable, it looks beneficial. And usually when you sin, you're thinking along those lines. It's practical, it'll be enjoyable. Maybe in some way it's beneficial, right? People don't sin to ruin their lives. They sin to make their lives better, to make themselves feel better, to alleviate whatever. People, people don't, they don't do drugs, they don't have affairs, any of the stuff you can think of. They don't lie, they don't gossip, they don't cheat. They, they don't do that to make their life worse. It's because we're deceived. And Eve decided, I know best. They both did. And she believed this fruit could do something for her. And she decided to, and Adam and Eve put themselves up as judge over God and his word. And sin at its heart is a rebellion against God. Oh, it's a departure from what he says is best, but it is so much more than Yes, it's a departure from, from the way he wants you to live life, but it is so much more than that. It is an absolute rebellion against the one who we are made in his image. 
It doesn't make you more like God. It makes you much less like God. It doesn't make you more human. It makes you less human. Sin is a departure, and it is a rebellion against God. And every one of us can relate to this story. We're all a lot like Adam and Eve. We've all chosen in our own way to make choices that we know we're like ourselves kind of becoming our own God, captain of our own life, steerer of our own soul. And your neighbor can relate to Adam and Eve. Listen, we have to understand that to share the gospel with someone, we have to be able to get them to, they need to see themselves in this story. They need to be able to see that the very first people are a lot like them, that we're all a lot like Adam and Eve. Before we can do that, you've got to realize that you're like this story, that this has happened to you. As humans, we've actually inherited, as we spoke to last week, a sin nature passed down to us from Adam. It's, we call it original sin in the Christian world. We, we, we're born with this propensity to sin. Romans 5.12 says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all sin. Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. We'll stop there. See, you, see, you see how it's happening? He's, Paul tells us you can go all the way back to here and figure out why you sinned. Because you, it's like you inherited it. It's in, it's in your nature. And we're sinners by nature, but we're more than that, we're sinners by choice. We're sinners by choice. We've all lived out this experience and bought Satan's lie, hook, line, and sinker, and as the Bible says, been led astray by our own desires, as James tells us. And if you're going to effectively understand and share the gospel and even believe the gospel, you've got to deal with sin. We can't get around that. We don't like talking about it. Nobody wants to talk about sin. It's like, oh, offend somebody. Listen, would you go to a doctor who would not tell you what is wrong with you? Right? You go sit down to the doctor, and you're like, this is all that's going on with my body. I've got all these symptoms. What's the, what do you think's the matter? And he's like, uh, eh, just take this. But what's the matter? Eh, I don't want to offend you. Take this. But, but you don't understand. I've got this problem, this problem. Mm, I don't want to. I don't. It's going to get messy. Just take this. You're getting to, mm, let's keep it neat and tidy, and let's just, you take this. You would be like, this doctor's crazy. Right? I want to know what's wrong and why I need to. Take that, right? And God's a good doctor, right? He, he lays it out before us. He says, here's what's wrong. Here's the problem. You're, you and me, we are sinners. And if we are going to help our neighbors, we have to, first of all, you've got to understand that you are a sinner. But you also have to be willing to talk to them about the fact that they are a sinner. And we can do that in communal terms. We're, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Their sin's not worse than my sin. His sin's not worse than her sin. We're all sinners. We're re re we have rebelled against God. We have departed from his design. And for sick people, they only want medicine when they know they're sick. Sometimes they still don't want it, right? Some people are stubborn. But you don't, you don't want the medicine until you know you're sick and we have to be willing to straight talk here. Now, the rest of the passage shows us the result of this one act of rebellion, and it's the brokenness we see and experience. Pick up with me in verse 7 of chapter 3, Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
not exactly what they expected. Now all of a sudden things are changed. There's, like, there's an eeriness in the air. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love how that's written like this is just a normal day, something God did regularly, communing with his people. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. How foolish they must have looked. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now let's stop there. So the first thing we saw is that the cause of brokenness is sin. The second thing I want us to look at is the scope of brokenness. It is very wide, and we're going to go through these areas. See, there's obvious, we see, immediate consequences for their sin. Their eyes are open, but not in the way they had hoped. Rather than be more like God, they're ashamed and fearful. And listen, sin is always transformational. Their sin brought change, but not the change that they deeply desired. See, we tend to believe sin will make our lives better. As I said earlier, people don't sin to make their lives worse. They sin to make their lives better. The problem is sin changes us, but not the way we want. And sin always changes you. You say, oh, no, I can do this and it not change me. Oh, no, it's changing you. Sin is transformational. It, it, by its very nature, just as you gaze at the Lord Jesus Christ in his word and the spirit of God changes you from the inside out to be more like Jesus, I'm telling you, when you indulge in sin, as you gaze upon whatever you gaze upon, as you go in the direction that you go in, as you move towards an idol, it changes you. The Bible actually says that idolaters become like their idols. The first sin didn't bring joy. It didn't bring hope. It brought brokenness into the world. And we're still experiencing it today. Now let's think of the scope of brokenness. First of all, we see spiritual brokenness. Spiritual brokenness. Their relationship with God has obviously been affected. It has been broken. Rather than walking in peaceful fellowship, we see them running and hiding from God. They are experiencing something we call guilt and shame. We can't imagine a world without it. They could not imagine a world with it. They feel guilty for doing something that they know was wrong and they feel ashamed of now their standing before a holy God and even before one another. 
can you imagine a world without guilt or shame? I can't imagine it. So I can imagine what it's like to go from not ha having it to having it. Because we understand it from a very early age. My daughter's two. And when she does something that she knows is wrong, she says, saw, saw, daddy. What does she say? Sorry, daddy. And saw, saw for her, right? She, she apologizes, right? She instinctively understands guilt, doing something wrong. She's two. It, we understand it from an early age. It's, we swim in it in our world. And shame and guilt are appropriate responses to sin, but we're not created to walk in guilt and shame. It's the natural response to sin. Somebody say, oh, when you do something wrong, you're not supposed to feel guilty. Yeah, if you're a psychopath. Yeah, guilt, you know, is that the Holy Spirit that made you feel It's your conscience, right? It doesn't prove you're a Christian. We don't walk, as a Christian, you don't walk in condemnation. That's not from God. There's no condemnation for those in the Spirit convicts. He doesn't condemn. But we see guilt and shame came in with the first sin. They experience fear. Look at verse 10, one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, I believe. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. He's afraid of the presence of God. Not in a reverential awe respect, worshipful fear like we see throughout the Bible, but like God's out to get me kind of fear. Like I've got to be afraid that God's going to crush me now, that God's going to judge me now, that God's going to condemn me now because he sinned against a holy God. You know, God shouldn't have had to come looking for them, right? God knew where they were at. This is in the Bible to help us to understand what's going on. It's not because God didn't know whether God wanted them to fess up. He wanted them to come to him. He was inviting them. Where are you is an invitation to Adam. Where are you? I'm right here. I haven't moved. Where are you? Right? But guilt and shame were keeping them away. The relationship with God is different now. It's broken. They've decided to try to usurp God's authority in their lives. And we know guilt, shame, fear, these are not symptoms of a healthy relationship. They're signs to tell us that something has gone wrong. And they knew spiritual brokenness has happened. The relationship with God has been affected. And it's the spiritual brokenness that leads to so much of the other brokenness we see. That's the core root of the problem is the rebellion against God that brings the spiritual brokenness that ruptures throughout our world. We see personal brokenness. Personal brokenness. Brokenness. Because of this, if, as an image bearer who's made to reflect God, who's made to image God, who's made to steward God's creation, once that relationship is broken, now there's a, a barrier between me and God. Now that the sin has created a barrier, it's like, it's like the image has been, it's like a mirror being shattered. Right? You can still see a reflection in it, but it's distorted. And so we still bear God's image, but it's distorted. We don't bear it like we should. And there's a personal brokenness, and we see this in the fact they know they're naked. They're sewing fig leaves. They're making loincloths. They know something is wrong. The fear, the shame, the guilt. And we see it in the fact that they fail to take responsibility for their actions. Rather than confess, they divert and play a blame game. Adam blamed Eve, then God. Eve blamed Satan. Today, people still refuse to take responsibility for our sin. And we do the same things they did. People blame others for their sin. Just like, just like God, Adam said, it was Eve. 
We blame others for us. And oh, if my parents had been better, if my spouse would just do this, if my boss hadn't done this, if you hadn't done this, yeah, I wouldn't have been bitter for the last 50 years if you hadn't done this 50 years ago. You know, we blame others for our sin. People blame God for their sin too. God let this happen to me. You've heard people say that. Bitter at God. God made me this way, they say, some people. People blame Satan for their sin. The old devil made me do it line. We're usually not quite that obvious with it. It's more like this. The temptation was just too strong. You don't understand the temptation I face. Temptation's just too strong for me. What is that? That's the devil made me do it stuff. The Bible says that your, your temptation is from within you. You are drawn away by your own sinful desire. You can't blame the devil. The reason people blame others is because it's natural sinful response. Whereas God wants us to come clean. That's why God comes asking, where are you? And sin against God brings brokenness that ripples throughout our relationships and creation. It's just like if you take a, a rock and you throw it in the swimming pool, right? There's ripple effect. And the bigger the rock, the bigger the ripple. Well, imagine this rock. A sin against a holy, infinite God. It has rippled throughout creation for all the way to today, thousands and thousands of years later, it, we're still feeling the effects of this one rock. You say, but it's just one sin. This is a big effect for one sin. You're missing the point. It doesn't matter how big the sin, how little the sin, whether it's one sin or 10,000 sins, it was against a holy, perfect, infinite, just God. There's no such thing as a small sin before that God. See what I'm saying? There's a difference. I sin against a rock. We've used this before. I sin against a rock. I haven't done much. I sin against an animal. I've done more. I sin against a person. I've done a lot. I sin against God. I've done something infinitely bad and worthy of punishment. We're personally broken people who have experienced spiritual brokenness. We also experience relational brokenness is the third type of brokenness. Relational brokenness. Our relationship with others experiences brokenness. Starting in verse 14. God lets us in on the consequences beyond what we've already seen. And then down in verse, chapter 3, verse 16, it says the power struggle enters the home. Remember, marriage is the pinnacle of human relationships just as man is, and humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. And even this great gift from God now encounters difficulty due to the fall. In chapter 2, we saw Eve was given as a helper to Adam. From the beginning, Adam was to be a loving leader and Eve a gracious helper. And they were to work in unity, side by side, each fulfilling their role that was unique and distinct, but in their own way, bear the image of God. But now we see evil desire to rule over Adam. And the husband, who is supposed to be a loving leader, many times will rule in an ungodly way. See, what happens is when you take two sinners and you put them in the same house, there's problems, <laughs> right? Four, four flat tires is not a great way to roll down the road, right? We get that. You're just adding, and when you, two sinners, you put them in a house, well, we've got problems. I'm surprised. You have kids. We have problems. We have another kid. We have problems. I'm so surprised that we have problems. We're sinners. We're all, we're all broken, and we're going to have difficulty in this life because we're sinners, and the Bible even shows us even in that covenant relationship between husband and wife, problems enter the picture because sin has entered the picture. But we don't just experience brokenness in marriage. It's in all our human relationships in general. 
That was the only human relationship they had at that point, right? But it was, we see, it experiences it all. The very next chapter, the first two siblings, one kills the other one. The first two brothers on the planet, Cain kills Abel. Sin has infected the entire family and every relationship is touched by it. Everybody experiences this relational brokenness. People feel it. Your neighbors know it. You know it. We also experience environmental brokenness. The world we live in is broken. The world is a different place now that sin has entered the picture. We experience pain. We experience suffering. All through this world, we experience trouble in our lives. And when we die, we see there's pain in childbirth, right? God told them to go and be fruitful and multiply. And now to fulfill that command, they will experience multiplication of pain, Eve will, in childbirth. It's a different world. There's pain. There's suffering in this world now. There's pain in work and in life in general. Cursed is the ground because of you, he says, Adam. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. God gave work before the fall. This pain comes because of the fall. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you. Life is more difficult. Work is more difficult. By the sweat of your face you shall eat. And you will return to the ground. Work and life in this world are filled with pain now. We still steward, but it's more difficult. It's, there, there's pain, there's suffering associated with it. And the New Testament makes it very clear that the world that we live in now is different due to the fall. Look on your screen, Romans 8. Romans 8, 20 through 22 says, Paul writes, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Everything's different. Everything, the ripple effect has went throughout the world, throughout creation. And it's like if you had this beautiful, pristine fish tank, right, with this beautiful, gorgeous fish, and you took some, a cup of brown food coloring or red food coloring, something that would clearly make it a different, and just dumped it in. And it just begins to discolor the whole tank. And all the fish are swimming in that now. And it's on all, everything is infected by it. Same bowl, but everything's different. And the world we live in is filled with sin and all of its effects and brokenness. The world is now a platform, a stage from which humanity continues its rebellion against God. One commentator called it the arena of sin. And it longs to be set free from that. Nothing shows the broken of this world like the fact that in this world, ultimately, we die. To dust you shall return. Adam's like, what? What's this death thing? What do you mean... And death is the final reminder to us that this world is broken. And every area we looked at last week that God designed to function for his glory has been touched by sin. You see it in the passage. Marriage, the family unit, work. Nothing's went untouched. And so when we look around and we see anxiety and depression and worry and fear and addiction and greed and mistrust and lies, and we see sickness, and we see disease, and we see wars, and we see death. We see our sins, and we see the effects of sin, and we see the truth. We are swimming in a sea of brokenness. 
and your neighbors and your family and your coworkers are experiencing this brokenness every single day. They are living just like you are in a post-Eden world. They have problems that you know about. They have problems you don't know about. They have problems that they don't want you to know about. They have problems and issues and sins that they would go to great painstaking lengths to keep you from finding out about. But what if you begin to see conversations about brokenness as windows to conversations about hope? What if you show the heart of your father and begin to pursue people in brokenness as God pursues us in our brokenness? The good news for us is there is hope in the brokenness. And that's the third point this morning. Second one was the scope of brokenness. This is the hope in brokenness. We see Adam and Eve trying to sow those fig leaves in this passage, and it's, it's humorous, really. Trying to hide from God, trying to cover themselves. They knew something was wrong. They just weren't sure how to fix it. They hid from God like he was the problem instead of the solution. God wasn't the problem. Their sin was the problem. God was the solution to the problem. So they begin to take matters in their own hands. We do that today, every day. We try to take matters into our own hands. We talked about this last week. And so we start looking for ways out of the brokenness, ways to fix our problems. We try to be more moral. We try to take up religion. We try to pray more. Sometimes they're good, valiant efforts. Be a better husband. Be a better wife. Be a better friend. Be a better citizen. Sometimes it's different, though. Sometimes people dive into drugs and addiction and try to just drown and wash their problems away. Sometimes people hump, jump from from relationship to relationship and from romance to romance and looking from one thing after another. Sometimes people dive fully into their career as their identity and just try to succeed. And try. Sometimes people look for power. They look for money. But there's all kinds of ways. We're just trying to fix because we know something is wrong. And the good news of the Bible is that God came looking for Adam when Adam didn't come looking for God. And that's what God does for us in the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God has come to us. It literally means good news that God has come looking for you and me and that he ultimately, as Genesis 3.15 points to, sent a redeemer. We're going to talk about this more next week to launch into the gospel and go deep into it. But God came after them in the garden. God, fig leaves wouldn't do it. God clothed them with animal skins. And God promised in Genesis 3.15 that he would send one who would crush the head of the serpent, who would destroy the work of the devil, that it would be an offspring of Eve. The New Testament tells us that is the person of Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the sent one, the Messiah, the Christ. All these words describe who Jesus is. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. God, the Son. And the Bible tells us he came to us. He, God became a man, the person of Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life. He was tempted he didn't sin where Adam did sin, where Eve did sin. Jesus didn't sin. He lived a perfectly sinless life, born under the law, but kept it perfectly. Born of a virgin, all God, all man. And the Bible tells us that he went to a cross, and on the cross, he took the penalty for our sin. 
we see that there was going to need to be, somebody was going to have to pay. It's written all the way back in Genesis 3 where we see that God killed two animals to clothe them with. That's the point. It's ahead that there will need to be blood sacrifice. In Genesis 22 where Abraham lays Isaac on the altar but God doesn't let him sacrifice in there is to point us to that there will need to be human sacrifice. But we have to understand it, won't have, it can't just be anybody. It's got to be God. It's got to be God the Son, the sinless Son of God. Sent by the Father, willingly lays down his life, bears our sin debt on the cross, bears our sin, and God puts the punishment that you and I deserve onto Jesus. And Jesus bears the full wrath of God for us on the cross, dying in your place, dying in my place, dying in your neighbor's place. And three days later, he rises from the dead in victory for our justification. We know the check didn't bounce, and when Jesus says it's finished, it's finished when he said that on the cross because he has risen from the dead. He's appeared to many, over 5,000. He's ascended visibly into heaven, and he's promised to come again. That is the good news of the gospel, of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But it's not enough just to know it. Instead of going our own way, trying to fix our brokenness, the Bible says we need to change, but the kind of change we need is the kind of change that only God can bring. We need to repent and believe the gospel. We need to repent and believe the gospel. Repent is the Bible word for turn. Turn from your sin to God. It's a change of mind and heart that leads to a change of direction. We repent and we believe this message. We believe the good news about Jesus. We trust Him. We sit down. We rest in what Christ has done. We believe the gospel. And the Bible says when that happens, God changes us from the inside out. He gives you a new heart. He makes you a new creature. He makes you desire new things. And you begin to recover and pursue God's design. You begin to recover and pursue God's will, God's purpose for your life. You begin to realize that God does know best and you desire to love and obey God, to know His will, to do His will, to obey His word. You don't do it perfectly because we still live in a broken world and we still have this, we still have this flesh. <coughs> we still have it, this, this body that still sins. But we progressively continue to grow and mature in Christ and recover and pursue. And then God takes us and He sends us back into this broken world to take this message of the gospel. And I would ask you this morning, like God asked Adam, where are you? Where are you? When you look on the screen or when you look up here and you see that diagram that just plays it out for us, where are you? Are you still over here in this world of sin and brokenness? Have you repented and believed the gospel? You can't take the gospel to someone if you haven't believed it yourself. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you if you've joined the church. I'm not asking you if you've prayed prayers or been through all the ropes. I'm asking you, have you repented and believed the gospel? You can do all the other stuff, but if you miss the gospel, you miss salvation. You have to repent and believe the gospel. And when that happens, life change happens. And you come out recovering and pursuing God's design. And when you mess up and when you sin, you know what you do? You go back and you repent again. And you believe the gospel. Not because you get saved again, but because you grow deeper and deeper into the understanding of the gospel that you need a Savior. And you need the Savior as much today as you needed Him 10 years ago or 50 years ago or 70 years ago or whenever you originally trusted Him. The Christian life is a continual posture of repentance from sin and belief in the good news 
about Jesus? Have you repented and believed the gospel? And if you have, and I hope you have, if you haven't, you need to do that today. If you have, God has charged you to take this message into the broken world around you and to share it with your lost friends, neighbors, and loved ones. I wonder if maybe there's two, maybe there's three people that would come to your mind in a message like this that you know are far from God. And if you would take some time this morning to pray for them. Let's pray.